So let's look at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3 of Colossians. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in heaven. This is an amazing, is an amazing passage in a very few verses. And so we want to go through it to see how, how it encourages us as we are in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. As I mentioned already, these false teachers were trying to derail the Christians in Colossae. These were real Christians. How do we know that? We know that by the fact that of their testimony. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 even. Even in the beginning of this letter, we see the testimony of these believers that they were true Christians. How do we know that? Because they were manifesting the way of Christ. First of all, verse 3 of chapter 1. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, Paul says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you or among you also the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Those who are participating in those types of activities, are they Christians? They sound, it sounds like they're Christians to me. So they understood the gospel. They understood what it meant to be saved. They understood who Jesus was or who Jesus is. They understood faith. They understood love. They understood hope. Those are the three pillars of the Christian faith. Faith, love, and hope in this case. So they not only believed in Christ, they were living out their faith. So the false teachers came along trying to tell them they needed something else or something in addition to what they already had. So Paul wrote this, heard about this, and so he wrote this letter to let them know that they had all that they needed to live the Christian life. And so they didn't need what the false teachers were offering. And the same is true with us. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, we have all that we need. In fact, the theme of this letter is the all-sufficiency of Christ. We don't need anything else in addition to Christ. And the theme of our particular passage is living a Christ-centered life in a demonic and humanistic-centered world. That is the kind of world that we live in. We live in a demonic and humanistic world or society, but we are called because of who we are to live a heavenly life. We are to live a heavenly-centered or heavenly-centric or Christocentric lifestyle. 
in a world that's in opposition to Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and all that Christ is doing. We are to be his ambassadors, representing him in this world, even today. So their philosophy, or their false teaching, was a mixture or blend of many different things. They had elements of philosophy, as Jordan talked about very well during his time here teaching. They had el- it had elements of Judaism. It had elements of the Old Testament rules and regulations. They believed in circumcision. They believed in the dietary laws and food laws and ceremonial practices, such as circumcision, Sabbath observances, new, moon, new moons, festivals of various kinds, and so forth. But none of that contributes in any way to our spiritual growth. It's legalism. It can look good on the outside, but it has no contribution. It makes no contribution at all to our spiritual life. Notice what Paul says concerning these things in verse 23 of chapter 2. He says... These are matters, referring to these practices, which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. It looks, in other words, it looks good on the outside, but it has no effect on the transformation of a person on the inside. A wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. It does not restrain or refrain the flesh from its sinful desires of of opposition to the will of God and the person of Christ. Man-made religion and ascetic practices may look good on the outside, but have no real value at all in fostering spiritual growth. That's why Paul is writing in opposition to that. He's also writing to let us know, to let them know, and by extension us know, the real way of biblical sanctification. And that's what this passage is about. But this passage even extends beyond spiritual sanctification. It also goes into the consummative aspect of our salvation, which is even glorification. So it's amazing what's packed into these verses here. Anyway, so let's get started. We see in verse... Go back to our passage now. We see in verse 1, he says initially, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Therefore is a term indicating that he's referring to something that he said previously. And also, if you have been raised up with Christ. Notice the word if. The word if here does not imply doubt of any kind. It's what's in, in Greek grammar, it's, and I'm not here to teach Greek grammar, but it refers to what's called a first-class condition. That is, they assume that the condition exists. So you could translate it because you've been raised up with Christ, or since you've been raised up with Christ, respond this way, do this. But they usually write it that way. He says... Uh, since you have been raised up with Christ. And I titled my first point here 
Regeneration is essential to progressive sanctification. What this is talking about here is regeneration. This is talking about when we first became believers in Jesus Christ. We know that we were born spiritually dead. We know that we were not able to communicate with God. We were not able to understand God, really. We were not able to submit our lives to him or to obey him prior to regeneration. We could not even respond to God because we were spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1 says, and even in other places. It talks about us being born physically alive, but spiritually dead. We can grow spiritually, but we cannot grow, I mean, we can grow physically, but we can't grow spiritually unless we have spiritual life. It is impossible for spiritual growth to take place if there is no spiritual life. Spiritual life, I mean, spiritual growth demands spiritual uh, life. There has to be life in order for there to be growth. The same is true in the physical realm. In order for there to be physical growth, there has to be physical life. So that is what Paul is talking about here. As a believer or as believers, we are now united to Christ. We share Christ's life. Christ's life dwells in us. And we live according to that life as opposed to anything else. And so that is what Paul is wanting these believers to know. Because you have been raised up with Christ. You have been given a new life, a spiritual life, a life that you didn't have before you came to Christ. You can now proceed in that life. That's a heavenly life. It's not an earthly life. Even though we still live in this world, our life, our spiritual life, our primary life is in the heavenlies. And that is why Paul is, is telling these believers to set their focus there. Set their focus on things above and not on things on the earth. How did we attain this life? What happened to us to cause us to have this life? This life is a total, a complete work of the Holy Spirit of God. We had nothing, and we have nothing now to do with it. It was not caused by us, but it was caused by us hearing the gospel and the Holy Spirit using that gospel, and I don't know how this works. The Holy Spirit using that gospel to cause new life to be implanted in us. This is new spiritual life. In fact, I didn't intend to go there, but I want to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I think it's since we're talking about this, it may be good to mention this at least. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. This, will talk, this talks about how this new life is brought about or put into us. It comes from us, comes to us from the outside. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. He says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. Why? Notice what he says in verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable or corruptible, 
but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. You see that? We have been born again by these means. Now, it doesn't mention the spirit here, but the spirit uses that word in order to produce or generate life, spiritual life, within us. And that enables us to repent and believe. Otherwise, we will not be able to. Because this that I'm tapping on right here is dead. It's dead. It can't respond. Look at it. I could look at it all day, and it would just sit there just like it is now. It cannot respond. In fact, that's one of the characteristics of death. Irresponsive. Irresponsive. It cannot respond because it's not able to respond. You can do whatever you want to to it. It doesn't respond. And that's the way we were before God produced life in us, spiritual life. We could not respond to his word. And notice verse 24, it describes this word. For all flesh is like grass, verse 24, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word, is not shown here, which by the gospel was preached to you. In fact, the term gospel is in this, in the original language. We don't see it here. And this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. It was a gospel being preached and the Holy Spirit using that gospel that brought about new life in these people, and the same is true with us. So let's look at some of the verses that we looked at last time or the time before and also see that being worked out or played out even here. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, beginning in verse 9. This is an amazing passage. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's an amazing statement. Christ is fully man, but at the same time fully God. He is the God-man. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. It dwelt in him when he was on this earth. It dwells in him now. In fact, you could even say that all the fullness of the Trinity dwells in him. Because there's only one God. There's only one spiritual essence. And that spiritual essence is, is in each member of the Trinity. It's not divided up. God cannot be divided up. His, his basic nature is indivisible. And that, this aspect of Christ's nature, Christ had two natures, he still has, he has a fully divine nature, and he has a fully human nature. And these two natures are separate. They're independent of each other. They don't carry over into each other. It's not a blend of these two natures. So all that fullness of deity dwells in him. Verse 10, and in him you have been made complete. We could actually stop right there. They are already complete. They are already complete before the false teachers ever came along. 
You know, it's really interesting here, and I was thinking about this as I was going through this. It's, it's amazing that these people thought that they could enhance Christ or add something to Christ or make him more or better than who he actually is. But that's not the case. And in him, verse 10, you have been made complete. And may I say also to you this morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are complete in him. God fully accepts you in him. If you are in union with Christ, you are accepted by God. In fact, that's the only means by which we can be acceptable to God, is that we are in Christ. And the very righteousness, the righteous life that Jesus lived on this earth has been imputed or credited or accounted to us. And that's why we are acceptable to God. That's the only way that we are acceptable to God. It is nothing that we have done. It is nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. It is nothing that we can add to Christ or any other thing that can make us acceptable to God. We are acceptable or complete in Christ. And he, Christ, is the head over all rule and authority. He keeps going. And in him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, he probably is saying this here to kind of ding <laughs> the false teachers because this is one of their uh, requirements. They're thinking that people ought to be circumcised even when they are fully accepted by God because they're in Christ. This is a circumcision made without hands, an internal circumcision. And that is what has happened to us as well. This is how we are actually being incorporated into Christ. As a believer in Christ, we have been incorporated into him. And his life has become ours. Made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, we died with Christ we were buried with Christ, and we have been raised with Christ. That is how we, are, that's how we become united to Christ or in Christ, is because of all of these things take place. They take place in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense at this point. We will be resurrected bodily when Christ comes in the rapture, but that's not right at this moment at least. Having been buried with him in baptism, this is not water baptism. This is a spiritual putting into Christ in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When we first came to Christ, we were carried back to the cross. We, were, we died with Christ, we were buried with him, and we were raised with him. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, verse 13, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Isn't that wonderful? All of our transgressions have been forgiven in Christ. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And not only that, verse 15 says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. An amazing reality 
that is ours in Christ. So number two says, how are the believers to respond to this? How were the Colossian believers to respond to all that God had done in Christ on their behalf? And also, how are we to respond? He says in verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, this is how we are to respond. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We are to respond by seeking or keep, seek, or keep on seeking the things that are above. You know, one of the things that we prayed about this morning is the church plant. So let me ask a question right now. What, if you were asked, what is Christ doing at this very moment, what would you say? How would you answer that? He's building his church. He is building his church. And that's why we want to be seeking the things above, because we want to be in alignment with what Christ is doing. Christ is building his church. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Christ is still building his church. How do we know that? He said he would do it. He said upon this rock, on Peter's confession of who he is, he said upon this rock, I will build my church. And that's what he's actually doing. And he will bring it to completion in due course, in due time. So don't ever forget that Christ is at this very moment. He's preoccupied with the building of his church. And you know what? We are part of that. Isn't that absolutely amazing? We are part of the greatest work that's going on in the world today because it's the work of our Lord. He is building it. And then one day he will come for his church and take him to be in heaven with him for a time and then bring us back to this earth. So we want to be in alignment with him. That's why he's commanding us to keep seeking the things above. And Christ is there. Christ has been exalted to God's right hand. He is in heaven even at this very moment. But his work is being carried out on this earth through those who are faithful, through those who belong to him and those who are faithful to him. And he will continue that work. And we want to continue to be a part of that work as well. So keep seeking the things above. This is a command. This is one of two commands in this, these two verses. And it's in the present tense, which means it's ongoing. We need to continue to seek the things above so we can get wisdom and guidance from Christ who is above so that we will know how to live and know what to be doing at any particular point in time. Also, because our new identity is now with Christ. Our new identity is with Christ. And we are citizens of heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship because we have been raised up with Christ spiritually. Keep that in mind. It's, this is not physically. This is not we're, talking, we're not talking physically, so we can't... It's not always easy to get a grasp of this that we are spiritually seated in the heavenlies. In fact, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that. You can read it on your own. In chapter 2 in Ephesians, it talks about God raised us up and seated us with him, that is with Christ, in the heavenlies. 
Christ was raised up and seated in the heavenlies, so we're seated there with him. So that's where he wants us to seek our guidance and direction from because we are heavenly citizens. We have a heavenly citizenship. And he goes on, he says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christ is currently seated at the right hand of God. If you can imagine this, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a challenge to imagine this, how God is, is seated. But I think it's speaking in a metaphorical sense, even though it's real. Uh, when the temple was on earth, Christ had a, I mean, God had a place of his manifested presence. But God is not confined to any, in a building. I mean, who, who, who can build a building for God? His, his, speaking metaphorically where his manifest presence is, and I think this may be in the same way, but Christ is at God's right hand, which is the place of honor and majesty. He's seated there, even at this very moment, interceding for you and me. That's what he's doing right now as well. He's interceding for us. He stands in the presence of God, waiting to receive his orders and directions as to what to do. Exactly right. I love that verse. Uh, I read that verse and think about that verse often because that's what I want to do. <laughs> Stand in the presence of God to be receiving orders from him and to care, be carrying out those orders. He's, he's seated at the right hand of God. This verse, uh, we go to Roman numeral 3 now. Before we go there, let's look at verse 2, where it talks about not only seeking the things above, but our mind should, our mind should be fixed on the things above as well. The word mind here is from the word, is, let me read the verse, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let me go back to uh, verse 2. Let me read verse 2 again. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are upon earth. So our minds also should be set on the things above where Christ is and not on the things of this earth because we have a heavenly citizenship. One of the verses I love that talks about this is Philippians chapter 3. And we may turn there. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. This is a verse that I roll over in my mind often. In verse 20, we'll read verses 20 and 21, reminding us of our heavenly citizenship. And I need to move forward here. Of our heavenly citizenship. Notice verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he will do. Who will transform the body of our humble state, these bodies, into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. This is an amazing reality as well. So let's move on. Let's talk about our resources. Our resources is Christ himself. Roman numeral 2, let's go on. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This verse is taken from Psalm 110, verse 1. This is the most often quoted Old Testament psalm in the New Testament. There are many, many places 
Well, this verse is either quoted, a portion of it is quoted, or it's alluded to. And I just want to look at a, f- a couple of them here. Notice what the psalm says. He says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, when Jesus was being tried unfairly, he accused those who were abusing him and misusing him. He quoted this psalm to them. Notice what he said in Luke 22, verse 69. He says, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And there are many other verses that places in the New Testament where this, this, this portion of the psalm is quoted. But I just want to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Let's read that because the reason I want to read this is because of what it says here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. He says, referring to Christ, in the previous verse, it says of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. The, word, the reason I wanted to read that verse is because that's one of the things that happened at the cross. Jesus' death broke any power that any angelic beings, demons, or whatever kind they may be, over humanity. So he broke that power. In fact, in Colossians, uh, earlier in Colossians, it talks about that. But I think uh, I wanted to read it because it talks about, it talked about worshiping of angels and different things of that nature. Christ is over them. He's overall. So that's why we don't need anything in addition to him. And Christ is exalted as the mediator between God and man. He's there at God's right hand, eagerly waiting to dispense any resources that we might need to live godly in this present age, in this present world. Why should we live this way? Notice what he says, Roman numeral 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. In fact, our life is Christ's life because we died. The old man, the old sinning man who we all were prior to conversion no longer exists because we died. What does it mean to die? Well, there are several aspects of death, but I don't think this one is talking about either one of them. There's spiritual death, which we all were born into this world with, separated from God, without the capacity to respond to God or to relate to God. There's physical death. Physical death implies a separation of our soul or spirit from our body. When a person dies, that means that their spirit or soul separates from the body, and the body dies. And then the third aspect is what's called eternal death. This refers to the final death or of separation of the person from God in the torments of hell or the lake of fire. 
But when we died with Christ, it is our old self, it is our old man, our old sinning self, which was dominated and ruled over by sin, died. The power of sin over the believer is broken. Does this mean that a believer doesn't sin? No. It doesn't mean that the believer doesn't sin. He's no longer enslaved and dominated by sin. He's now, he now has the capacity to not sin, even though he will sin, but he has the capacity and the resources now because of his union with Christ to not sin, but he still sins. Because sin is still a strong enemy, a strong foe with us. So let's move on. Roman number five. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is wrapped up in Christ. The life of Christ is our life. We are incorporated into him. And he wants us to represent him in that way upon this earth. Our life is now hidden. People don't really realize who we actually are. It doesn't realize why we do what we do. It doesn't realize why we live the way we live because our real life, our spiritual life, is hidden from them. We don't fully understand that ourselves, but it's hidden with Christ in God. But that won't always be the case. That will eventually change, and verse 4 alludes to that. Notice verse 4, which, which I call, When Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory. But now we're hidden. Notice what it says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. That will one day come. That is what every Christian is looking forward to and hoping for, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tom spoke on the rapture. Was that last Sunday? Oh, it's recently. He spoke on the rapture. And I think the older I get and the weaker I get and the more pain that I receive and that I experience in this body, I'm looking forward to the rapture. I hope that you are as well. I'm looking forward to the rapture. It will come. And when it does come, these bodies, these frail, weak bodies that we read about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, will be radically altered, will be radically changed. There will be no more sin in us. And we will, have, we will not have to deal with the aspects of sin anymore. The word revealed here is from the word phone roo, which means to become visible, to manifest, to fully make known, to reveal. We will be revealed when Christ is revealed because we are inseparably linked to him. We are in him, we're united with him, and we are inseparably linked with him and our spiritual life is with him, even now. And when he comes, we will be continually with him. But it depends on whether we are alive when he comes or dead when he comes. That will tell how we will be when he comes. We will all be the same once we are resurrected and glorified. But those who are dead now will be transformed first. 
and then after that. But this all happens in an instant. It's not a whole lot of time delay. We will be like him. And all the suffering that we experience today, we think about uh, some of our friends. We think about uh, Rick Garner. He will get a set of new lungs. I'm sure he's looking forward to that when that comes. But notice 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3 rather, verse 2. This is one of my favorite verses as well. As I mentioned, I spend time thinking about the return of Christ. And this is one of the verses that I think about. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Notice what he says. He says, Beloved, now, that is, at the present time, are we children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. We will see the resurrected, glorified, exalted Christ just as he is. And we will be like him. That is why even today we want to live a heavenly lifestyle, a life that's Christ-centered even in this age today. I have one more verse that I would like to read. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn, the one of the highest ranking or the highest order among many brethren. It is at that time we will become what God really intended us to be, the image of his son. We will be like him. May the Lord speed that day. See, a, a person is a two-part being. He has a body. When Adam, when, when Adam was made, God took dust from the ground and formed it into the shape of a man. And then he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living nephesh, soul or being. And so when he died, his soul or his spirit left his body, and his body remained on the earth. And see what happened in the garden also, God, or Christ, one of the members of the Trinity, slaughtered a lamb and covered them. You know, they were trying to hide themselves, and they sewed fig leaves together and to cover themselves, but that was insufficient. I personally believe that that may have been where work salvation may have begun, that they tried to save themselves or cover themselves, which could not happen. God had to be the one to provide a sacrifice, who is now our Lord Jesus Christ, to cover their sins or to atone for their sins. So I believe that they, their spirits are in heaven, but their bodies have decomposed. There's several things here. God knew from before creation that man would sin. God provided for man's sin prior to ever creating him. He knew that sin would take place. Now, when Adam and Eve died, the moment that they ate of that fruit, they died, they died spiritually. But Adam lived, what, 500-plus years or so and had a total of 900-some years. He lived a much longer time after that. He said, in the day that you eat of the tree that I'm forbidding you to eat from, you shall surely die. He did die, 
but he died in a spiritual sense. He was cut off from God spiritually because he was spiritually dead, and God restored him. And so he had sons and daughters, and they received the effects, meaning us as well, of that fall or of that sin. Because not only did Adam disobey God directly, he was also corrupted. He received a sinful nature, and that sinful nature is passed on down through succeeding generations. That's why we are spiritual dead. And so when we are regenerated, we become alive spiritually in Christ or with Christ, and then we live the new life. And then when we die, our spirits also separate from our bodies or soul, whichever way you prefer, it goes to heaven to be with Christ. And then when Christ returns, he brings that, our spirits with him, and then he resurrects our bodies and reunites those uh, bodies, uh, spirits with our bodies. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not. I'm just giving an overall view of what actually happens. Yeah, and so time is running out. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth. And Father, we thank you for who you have made us to be. You have made us sons and daughters of yourself. We are your children. And Father, we thank you for Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. In the life that we now live in these mortal bodies, we live by faith in him who loved us and gave himself for us. So Father, we thank you. May we represent him this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.